Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. So today my guest is Nora. And Nora, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, sure, Linda, and it's a great pleasure to be here. I really do appreciate it, my friend. Well, I am um, a person who happened to stumble into education back when I first got married and realized I didn't want to be a dairy farmer. My background was as the daughter of a Croatian immigrant, so I had had a lot of international travel and international time with my family. I knew how exciting languages and uh, the world were, and so when I couldn't think of what I wanted to do when I realized the cows weren't anywhere near as interesting as I thought they were going to be, I, I stumbled into education and since then found that it was the spectacular place to be for a person who just like I do, like a lot of us do, like you do, Linda, really loves uh, the world, love people, love languages in this case, love cultures, and you get excited about it every day and you have someone to talk about it with every day when you're in education too. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to be able to share that sense that the world is a beautiful place and it's a big place. Mm-hmm. And that's basically my essence, I think. So you work with a lot of teachers today, and then maybe we'll come back and talk about students because when we work with teachers, they're students then. And I think teachers become teachers, I've heard from a lot of people because they love learning. And I know you're a lifelong learner and you've learned a lot that you passed on to teachers. And I know you work with a lot of teachers today. So what do you feel is the essence of teaching now? Like, what do you think the teachers are needing the most or asking for the most? Because you do a lot of trainings with teachers, working with teachers, you have a good listening ear for teachers and a big heart for them. So what, what has been your input? What have you been, what's, have been, what's been coming in to, you, to your heart and that you've been hearing? Such interesting questions, Linda. Uh, you ask, like, what do teachers need? What are they looking for? I think always teachers have been looking for how do you spark student joy? How do you sustain student interest, not that you're in their spirit and have to hold them up, but how do you give them the tools to realize that it's exciting to learn, it's important to learn, it's life-giving to learn, and to share that with others. I think teachers have always had that. 
in the history of working with teachers, one of the items that I have always tried to bring to them without scaring them <laughs> is to talk about the importance of being vulnerable, of allowing our imperfection as humans to show forth. Probably because I myself struggled with perfectionism as a child and young adult. And when I found that vulnerability freed me up to be more fully human and more fully a teacher, more fully a community member and a family member, and that there are techniques, if you will, to apply in a classroom to express to students about the vulnerability that they can work with and that they can embrace. I think that the third level is something that has come to my mind here these last several years, and that is very specifically, I believe that teachers need hope. I believe that the complexities of our world, the interconnectedness of our world, the challenges of our world can be amazing, amazing opportunities like no one's ever had because we've never been so globally connected. But I think that also brings anxieties, challenges that people sometimes feel that they cannot surmount. And about, well, I guess about five years ago now, I started to recognize that what I was thinking about, what I was looking to bring everywhere I went, every time I was around teachers, in whatever format that might be, physically, at a distance, through writing, that it was going to be hope. Mm -hmm. Hope for themselves, hope for their students, hope for the world. So one thing I think that you talked about strategies to um, make, help students to feel vulnerable and take those risks, and also about hope. A story that I can tell the first time I met you, like 20 years ago, and it was at a conference, a Skolk conference, and you came to me as a first timer to the conference, and you welcomed me, and you included me. You invited me in, and you made me feel like I belonged, that I should be there. And that's, um, that is a gift that you bring to every interaction with every person. And I can just imagine how it unfolds in the classroom with students. So can you just give us some other ideas of how you um, encourage that vulnerability for learning and also build towards that hope? Sure, and thank you, and I appreciate your telling that story because I do remember our meeting and the fact that that had an impact on you just makes me feel still very warm. As, uh, just thank you for sharing that story. And, you know, to, to grab that story and move with it, I think the key thing inside a classroom that I have tried to express to others and done in workshops even, if at all possible, is respect that we enter into the classroom with a profound respect for the humanity for each of the students in front of us, not knowing yet what their individual struggles are, what their, what their concerns are, what hurts they might have brought, what joys they might have brought. In language teaching specifically, the technique, if you will, is to recognize that language is a spoken phenomenon and that if we can hold off 
on bringing in the written because there may be students that have trouble with literacy. If we begin by using the ear, the way that language was learned when they were little, and doing it incrementally, and inviting, nay, celebrating, laughing about mistakes because I'm making plenty of mistakes in my conversation with you here today, and I'm a native speaker with, excuse my dentures are falling out here, some years of experience <laughs> that if we bring that perspective to students, we laugh at ourselves, but when we really have something to laugh about, so it's not I don't know, I put it this way, fake, right? Mm -hmm. It's where we say something and we back up and we say, what did I just say? We demonstrate an awareness. We demonstrate sensitivity. We demonstrate that language is a living, breathing thing where mistakes are made, usually just left behind, and where talking together, communicating together, mm -hmm. the things that really create what language is all about. It's not a solo performance. You know, <clears throat> Linda, one of the things that I believe very strongly that teachers can get in front of them is the first, if you will, three Maslow type stages where first our students need to survive. Once they have survived, then they need to be able to feel they belong. And at the third stage, can they feel that they can be competent. As teachers, we tend to want them to be competent from the first day of school. But in fact, what they need to do is know that they can survive and then belong. And in a language class, since language is identity, language is how we express ourselves, that if they don't feel they can survive, they can shut down. Mm -hmm. All of us would. You know, refugees war refugees that come into other places where language is not theirs, their natal language, feel like, feel stupid. People that are PhDs, people that are doctors, people that have been communicating beautifully, now suddenly feel stupid. And our students feel that way, their brains are set up that way. So to create a classroom environment in which they know they're respected before they do anything, just because they're alive, they're invited to make mistakes. They're invited to join with others, to try to communicate, to struggle together. And that struggle is welcomed and celebrated. I think that's how you bring hope, day mm -hmm. by day. That's beautifully put, Nora. And that Maslow before blooms has become such a huge hashtag now in the social media world for teachers because we see it. We see it with our eyes and we feel it with our hearts that it's gone off track now with schools and we need to bring it back because I think that's exactly what teachers bring to the classroom every day is that big heart for kids. And no question. We talk about the social emotional learning, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that social emotional learning thing that I know that, you know, we got SEL and yes, of course. And to know those basics and to, to be thinking as educators, what are the implications in my classroom? What does it mean to a student to survive when they come into a classroom when they're learning a new language? And for example, in my area, and it doesn't mean, by the way, that they hear only their native language so that they don't make any mistakes in the new language. It means that they have a safe playground. 
-hmm. And so it, it takes collaboration, it takes thought, it takes awareness, but we can do it and we do do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's the direction to bring hope, like I say, every day. Another story I have, I have so many Nora stories because you had a great <laughs> impact on my life, um, is you pursued with um, Gallup, the Strengths Finder. And I remember when I was at the district, I was able to take the training on Strengths Finder. And it was life changing for me, it was very validating. Uh, and that is another strength you have is validating people. You listen and you listen carefully and you listen to understand, kind of like Stephen Covey says, and not to be understood. And you validate people that way very well. But so the Strengths Finder gave me an idea of what my strengths were and how I would, how they were showing up in the world and how then it encouraged me to show up in the world, such as empathy and sensitivity. You know, I always thought that it was a weakness and something that I should hide away and run away from, and it's actually a strength. So can you, can you speak a little bit to that and how StrengthsFinder would, you know, what kind of an impact it could have on children and teachers and the educational system and people's lives in general? Absolutely. Glad to do it because one of the things that happened when I went to the week-long accelerated course in Washington, D.C. in 2016 was that I am, <clears throat> well, I was vulnerable in front of everyone as we got started. We were all supposed to uh, uh, introduce ourselves and uh, everyone that was in there was just from a powerhouse, governmental, industrial. It was very intimidating. And I introduced myself as who I was, and I said, I, my purpose for being here, which is what they asked for, is to bring hope. And one of the first validating things that happened was that the presenter said, and that's why Gallup is here. Let's stop for a moment, everyone, and talk about bringing hope. Well, I was astonished and, of course, as you can imagine, gratified. So they picked up that I was nervous, and they also picked up the hope part. Mm -hmm. The ability for all of us to understand what our natural talents are, how they are expressed, how we filter the world through it, indeed is, I think, it is a game changer. I really appreciate your sharing your story and the experience that, that the Gallup strengths in your life have already played. When it comes to then your question about for educators and for students even knowing that I have a filter through which I see the world a pattern a recurring pattern of behavior a recurring pattern of thought a recurring pattern of perspective is a reflection that helps us to calm down about ourselves to recognize that that for example you mentioned empathy you felt potentially could be a weakness but in fact, it's a huge strength of being able to understand people's thinking, which is what you do so beautifully. You enter into their hearts in every way. To be able to recognize and have a way of defining and taking a look at how the strength is applied in the world is a way of validating ourselves as individuals. 
as a Gallup coach, the next stage I always take adults to or young or children when I'm working with them is now what does this imply about the person next to you, about the way that they see the world, about the way they think of things, about their perspective, about how they solve problems and meet challenges. How then can you collaboratively work together? Because an important part of the whole Gallup concept is that we don't do it alone. We have our strengths which we apply and then we look to others. And for young children, the Gallup Explorer is for middle school and high schoolers in particular to begin to take a look at how they are beginning to look at the world. The strengths themselves are not solidified then, but what an empowering op option for the young people to be able to recognize that they do have valid approaches to life, and so do their peers, and each of us need each other, mm -hmm. and know how that looks specifically, because it's all nice to talk about it in a very abstract kind of way, but we also can then learn specifically how do we work together. And that's a game changer for young people who indeed may feel that they're worthless, don't have a role, are stupid. In fact, they recognize they have strengths and talents and giftedness and contributions, and then so do their peers. Mm -hmm. Solves or can solve with nurturing many, many of our biggest concerns and problems right now. I really love the word empowering. And that's exactly what I felt after that awareness of my strengths, that they were strengths, they were not weaknesses. I felt very empowered and stepped into that power. And when you do that, you show up in the world in a very a much more personal and meaningful way for you, but also for other people, because they see that, then they see that light. And when we give kids permission to do that, quite often, they are bullied or shamed over being maybe sensitive, or they may have, uh, they may be very fearful of being in crowds of people. Uh, they may not be a real organized person and we shame them over that, but that's just not their strength. It, they have strengths in other areas. And if we shine the light on that and let that shine through and shine into the world, that's so much more empowering and to the, to the person and to the world that their light is shining out into. Indeed, and beautifully put, of course, Linda, because of clearly the, you know, the impact in your life and what you've done with others there are so many times you use the word shamed. We are often trying to fix folks. We're going to help student X. We're going to fix a problem with them not remembering to do this or with how they behave there. Fixing problems. And an important part, as you well know, of the Gallup experience is there really are no weaknesses per se. There are strengths, and then there are other aspects of our lives that we don't express with great power, and we don't try to fix that. We take what we're good at, and we strengthen it. Or as I shared with my Gallup group, and they decided that they were going to keep it, copyright Nora Jones, make your peaks 
peakier. <laughs> what you're good at, become really great at and help to bring it as a gift to others. Again, remembering that there are others that have the, get their gifts, different gifts, different perspectives. Help them to get their peaks peakier too. <laughs> and the moment we decide to take a look at the strengths that people are expressing, to understand they are strengths, which is what the Gallup experience is especially good at, I believe, and to stop saying things like, we need to fix that about so-and-so. The more we bring, again, going back, hope, because let's go back to another aspect, the vulnerability that I believe is absolutely essential to keep us from hardening the shells around ourselves, be it as teachers or as students or as members of the world community, you really can't embrace vulnerability if you don't recognize that you have plenty of foundation to fall back on, that you recognize that you have talents and gifts and that you contribute. It allows you to be vulnerable in, in truth because you know that your foundation will not be lost. It's, it's not a vapor. It's a true, strong foundation. And this vulnerability is a temporary pass, or pass through that walk that you're taking. And that creates opportunities for adults. It creates opportunities for children, for teachers, for students, for everyone. That's beautifully put. The you know, the hope if we feel less and that we don't have anything of a foundation to share or to fall back on, we just feel that less, we become hopeless because we just, we don't feel like we have anything to offer. There's no, we have no strengths at all. We have no, no gifts to share with the world. And if that's the message we're receiving all the time, I remember I had a student once who all he wanted to do was be a fisherman. He just want, and I say only, but that was his passion. And he wanted to become a, a you know, a big fisher person name in the world, fishing world. And his parents wouldn't, they just thought that that was below him and that that would be less. And, and it was so sad to see because the poor, you know, young man was heartbroken and felt like a failure because he didn't see himself in some other higher uh, position or fulfilling the dreams that his parents had for him. He just saw himself as a fisherman, you know, being in tournaments and being the best fisherman that he could possibly be. And, what, a, uh, what a beautiful image. You know, there are two things come to my mind when you say that, Linda. One is uh, the really powerful moment for me in the human development class that I took uh, with my master's degree, an excellent, excellent professor, who pointed out that everyone seeks not for relative significance, but absolute significance. They do that by finding their place in, say, a sibling array, if there's a variety of children in the family. Do that by the type of things that they experience at school or around with their peers. They're looking for, what can I be the best at? What can I be significant in? So that first. And the second thing that comes to my mind is that how many young people 
have gone on through middle school, high school, even into college with having no idea what they're interested in, fishing or not. (laughs) But when they get to college, something, or when they get out into the world, something lights their fire. And for the first time, they find the energy and the focus to accomplish something. Not all, of course, work this way, but sometimes that happens because then that was when they really had a chance to think for themselves, what is my absolute significant interest? And then they can begin to pursue it because that brought hope again. Absolutely. So what advice would you give a new teacher coming into the profession? Enjoy first yourself. I'm breaking that apart Enjoy yourself is is a nice phrase. Have a good time, yes. But first is take a look inside yourself. What brings you joy? What experiences have you had? What, What are the things that you think are just wonderfully important about being alive? Get in touch with yourself first. Because what you're going to be bringing to your students every day will include some content but it will mostly be you. And when you have a chance to continue to have experiences, have them because they will continue to grow you and that will bring you a rich foundation from which to bring the content, whatever it is you teach, into the classroom. Students can smell when you come in with life around you. They can tell. And then they begin to contribute also to what you experience in life yourself. It's an exchange, but you have to bring your own life into it first. Come in, enjoy yourself, bring that joy into the classroom, be ready to experience students who are not ready to want you, be ready to experience students who are discouraged enough that you will have to give them out of a 180-day school year, 179 of yourself before they come to the last day and say what a difference you might have made. It might mean that they, they never do. Having endurance, having joy, knowing yourself, learning from them, those are aspects, I think, of making the teaching experience be a lifelong joy. That's great advice for new teachers because they come in with all of their methods classes and a little bit like a prescription, like I need to follow this formula and I have learned how to write the perfect lesson plan. And (laughs) five minutes into the first day of school, that lesson plan goes out the window and the teacher wants to go with it, you know, jump out of the window because it is, it becomes just chaos and the teachers have to learn to become flexible and and you do have to find that essence within you that works for you to flow absolutely and and new teachers i've got you in mind now by golly first of all the worst lessons i have ever taught were the ones that i had most thoroughly planned okay so there's an art to learning how to put down the essence of what you would like to share the pattern which you will follow, and then allowing it to flow. 
if you have to write something down for someone else, go ahead and write it down. But for yourself, <laughs> produce your own simple lesson plan. <laughs> Second thing is that when you make a big mistake, do like the wonderful department chair did for me in my school when I first began teaching. And I had not planned on teaching, remember. I sort of wandered in from the cows. The only reason I got the job was because I was the only one that had come across the personnel office with a transcript that had anything about it in about French. I had no education courses, nothing, nothing, nothing. They laughed me out when I first brought my transcript by. You'll never get a job here, quote unquote. I can tell you it was a joy to know that my personnel director and I have been great friends ever since, okay? But they did laugh me out at that particular point. I got the job because I was the only one with a French course in my background. And so when the department chair came to me from across the hall showing me her lesson plan and how she had taught the wrong verb form over and over and over all day long that vulnerability that she showed that was proactive vulnerability she could have hidden that away and just retaught it the next day she gave me the gift of knowing that mistakes and dumb things were going to happen as a professional. I considered that to be a huge gift, a huge mm -hmm. gift. And another thing, and Linda, you know this story because I feel that it is, it is been transformational. And the three steps of it have informed me in many other things that we, I've done in my years. So new teachers, here you go. When I was a new teacher, we had some folks from our State Department of Education in Virginia, which is where I live, come into my classroom. They sat and watched me teach. I was enthusiastic, by golly. It was, it was quite an exciting time. And when the bell rang and my planning period came, they stayed with me and they said, how do you feel that that went? And I said, well, I felt like and then I shared some things I thought worked well and there shared some things I thought personally didn't work well. And they affirmed the things that I said I thought worked well and congratulated me on that and gave me a real sense of like, you did it. Even you're a new teacher, you did it. And then the next thing they did was this. They said, so what were your students doing while you were doing all of this language? Oh. <gasps> Immediately, I realized that I had done most of the talking and the students had done very little. And then they engaged me in a conversation about how I could get the students to be producing, in this case, more language and me prompting them. And then finally, the third thing they did was this. They said, you know, there's a world language conference next fall. We'd love to have you be on a panel about teaching for proficiency. Those three steps, affirming, engaging, and inviting, changed everything in my life. And they bring it to your students. Affirm who they are. Celebrate who they are affirm their opinions, affirm their understanding, affirm their willingness, affirm their concern. 
engage them as best we can. It's an art. Remember my department chair coming over with the lesson plan. And then invite them into the next step. Invite them to consider the next thing that they will learn. Invite them to come the next day with a new idea. Invite them to try something and be vulnerable. Those three steps changed my life. I've tried to share that with people everywhere I go and with my students. Well, my hands on my heart, as always. It's usually there when we have conversations because we have such a heart connection. And I hope everybody listening to this has a heart connection with you and everything you've said. And I hope they come back and listen to it again and again and again, especially when they've had a tough day because you are an inspiration always. And you do radiate hope always. So I'm ending all of my podcasts with kind of a end my, you know, complete my sentence here. So not a multiple choice, not a prescribed answer. So I'm practicing what I'm preaching. So, and there's no wrong answer. It is just whatever you think completes the thought. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's a little rapid fire. Teaching is. Amazing. The biggest change that needs to happen in education is to allow the invention to take place. The most important thing I would like legislators to know about teaching is it's an art that expresses humanity. Learning happens when people feel safe. And my greatest hope for all teachers is that they get the support from everyone that they turn to, to make their lives successful. And my greatest hope for all students is that they get to meet all the people that will support them to make all of their dreams possible. Well, thank you, Nora. This was just beautiful. And uh, until... Linda, thank you. I appreciate every bit of it. Your heart, of course, comes right over everything you do. I appreciate this invitation. And uh, thank you for changing so many hearts, including mine, for always, always, always keeping that openness, uh, keeping that vulnerability, keeping that beauty. Thank you for sharing it with me today. You're welcome. And also, I know you're going to be sharing more of yourself with a podcast uh, in the future. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. And um, I'm hoping that soon after hearing this podcast, or maybe even simultaneously with hearing the podcast, that my website will be up. I do have, I have had for many decades now, a fluency consulting uh, as a consulting company and I'm set up a website and I'm excited to have a podcast series called It's About Language, which having conversations with folks from around the world who have made a big impact in their lives, inspiring others, inviting others, changing others, helping to bring joy through language and culture, wide ranging conversations. I'm very, very excited about the podcast lineup. 
has amazing people in the lineup, and I just happened to be teaching, excuse me, speaking to one right here in you, Linda, of course. As a matter of fact, uh, the plan is for you to open that sequence just like you open hearts everywhere you go. Looking forward to you opening up a podcast that has to do about the power of language and culture in lives. Thank you for that, Nora. We do need that so much to raise that awareness about the power of language and culture. As more ELL students are getting lost in the system, shuffled around in the system, uh, teachers don't know what to do, even though they may have had some training in it, they still, they still don't know. So we hopefully can open up minds and hearts and pathways for for language and empower. Absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that specifically because among the guests that I'm looking to have or have, you know, scheduled are ones that are looking at teaching the most vulnerable of students, uh, addressing the specific needs of language and language learning in the uh, country and the world right now, uh, social justice issues, issues of the way that language builds community or that communities are challenged by language. Uh, so thanks for that because it's the, the heart goes out to those who need the, the most support right now. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. I can't wait. It's going to make such a difference. So. Thank you. As are you, my friend. Thank you so much.